0: It's Ty Power's get Big Footy Final Sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy Final Sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. What a champion
1: becomes a legend. McCarty Debra One won it. Perkins goes in first. What a legend. What a champion.
0: Welcome to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Celebrating lives. And it is great to have you with us for another edition of This Is Your Sporting Life, our first edition for 2019, and what a great way to start the day, because today is one of the great days in Australian sport, and I have with me a man who provided us with one of the great moments in Australian sporting history. No need to introduce him any further. Cadell Evans, welcome to you, Cadell.
1: Thank you for having me here. It's an honour to hopefully start off with a great sporting 2019 for all of us and Australia.
0: I'm sure. Sure it will be, and it starts today. We mentioned the fact that the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race is on today. We speak in Geelong a couple of days before the event. What does this event mean to you, and, and how proud of you that your time in the sport has left a, a legacy in cycling?
1: Um, I have to say, I'd be understated to say I'm very, very proud. It would be a, really an understatement. It's... um it goes beyond uh, having having, a, having an event in my own name um, if I look at it try and look at it from a couple of different perspectives I'm the only rider in the world that has a, an event at this la- this level in their rank the only rider at the only race in the world tour which is some I don't know the complete number now um, <clears throat> all the top races in the world from the Tour de France Milan, San Remo, Paris-Roubaix the Great Ocean Road race to have a rider's name and that's the k 11s Great Ocean Road Race, and clearly that's my name. So, in that regard, in in terms of cy- the world of cycling, it's really something significant. And I say that not just for me, because the race is named after me, but I say it also from. Oh, this comes also from the government, the origins of the race, the reason to have it, um, and the the way the way that um, I think us as a country. And people who weren't involved in cycling maybe are involved in cycling because of my name and because that name resonates with cycling and Australia. That's that's what brings it together, and I'm also very proud for that that my my name went beyond my own sport, and certainly within my country, in our country at least. And um, that's something I'm proud of. And then on the other side, it's. Um, I can't race at the top level of the Tour de France for the rest of my life, but I can help a lot of people enjoy cycling. I can help inspire a lot of people um, through this race, and that, for me, gives me a, an, an extraordinary, um, great opportunity in life to what, in the end, in its most basic terms, I just cycling can help improve the quality of life of a lot of people, and I want to better help, them help that happen.
0: I think I'm right in saying that after you won the Tour de France, that there were all sorts of suggestions about how you could be honoured and they were talking about naming bridges or buildings after you, but you were pretty insistent that it should be something like this, weren't you?
1: Well, yeah. I'd, ha- I'd, hate, to ha- I'd hate to have a road or something named after me <laughs> and someone has like an accident on it or something. <laughs> someone gets run into or a speeding fine on it. I got, I got Yeah, I, you I could got hear sp- the traffic
0: reports on the radio now, couldn't you? Oh, there's a bad collision on the Cadell Evans Bridge.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's not something. It's not really quite me i do ride across bridges i do drive across bridges as everybody does but it doesn't quite resonate with me and who i am but um the weekend and of course we have the world tour men's race elite women's race which is the top level of cycling but for me it's just as important to see these little two-year-olds on their training wheels out and mum and dad seeing them maybe ride um further than they've ever ridden in their life so far or um some um some of the guys I ride with, they bring out their young sons and daughters or something to watch the race, and that for me is fantastic because it's one of these people that are going to be inspired and think, oh, maybe one day I'll ride the, ride the Tour de France, and and that was me one day years ago when I watched the TV, watched the Tour de France on TV. I was inspired by it. Oh, one day I'd like to ride it. Of course, as a young, as a young person, you don't know your limitations, so you dream to win it, and sometimes, sometimes these dreams come true.
0: One of the great things about when you were a kid and when I was young, and and still now watching the Tour de France is it's a bit like a travelogue of France and that's one of the things that this race offers to that spectacular scenery and the ability to take it to 140 countries around the world
1: and that's on, on another aspect of course I speak about the cycling aspect and on a, on a personal level what it means to me but um, let's be realistic it costs money to put on a race and, 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 we, and we, want, we want to deliver on on that investment from the government from the sponsors from, from all of us involved in the event and, and if we can be promoting tourism internationally the Great Ocean Road, Geelong, the surf coast, internationally and that's where I really like to see an increase in 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 where we can improve in the future is having more international visitors come and visit the race and stay here of course you don't come to Europe for a day or two days you come for two weeks and you you travel along the entire great ocean road you go and visit the city and and so on and that's where we what, what, what we really want uh, the race to be a little bit of a, a billboard that goes around to 140 countries and the nice thing about cycling is the race is quite long a 30 second ad- on TV can deliver a message a four hour bike race can deliver a somewhat stronger stronger uh, more, more meaningful message and and that's where on on a on another level that that the race is really important and that's um that's what the, the Tour de france originally was developed for that it was developed by a newspaper publisher to 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 sell more newspapers some hundred and ten years ago or something but that's that's why the Tour de france was developed and the giro d'italia and so on that's their history and um oh in the modern world now it's more about t v but um but that's um yeah that's that, that, that's another aspect to the race.
0: I should say this is great service going on here. We're at your hotel and we've got the coffee that has just come in, if you heard the door going there, so Cadell's got his coffee and you've got the coo- cookies there. Quite happy now. <laughs> I'm,
1: very, I'm very good. I, I, just, <laughs> I just flew in from Europe on Wednesday morning, so I'm still a bit um, not, not quite, not quite t- t- into time zone yet.
0: How do you go uh, coming back here? You don't get to spend a lot of time back here. How many times a year would you get back to Australia?
1: So I'm doing about three trips a year out and um my thing I'm I'm still based out in, overseas in Switzerland. I have two two small boys over there now and um of course I put everything I can into the race to deliver I can and I, I spend time um have some work with in the cycling industry uh, which takes me around the world for travels but also have, have more time at home but um, having committed so much to my sport now I try to slow down have a bit more home time because I do have the opportunity to have that quality father and son time and that's what um, you know, not, ever, not many people are lucky enough to have but um, I am right now so I, I try and invest a lot of time in that and that's for the reason that I'm still based over in Europe.
0: Now speaking of fatherhood you're a new father, aren't you?
1: That's why I got here on Wednesday. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, little Aidan Lee was born uh, last week. He's 11, 11 days old, um, 14 days old on the, on the day of the race he'll be. And um, yeah, 14th of January, uh, Stefania delivered well and uh, he got home on Friday, but I had to jump on a plane to get here because it takes a while.
0: <laughs> you were at the birth.
1: Yes, at the birth, saw all that. What um, sort
0: of experience was that for you?
1: Uh, very moving, to say the least. A little bit. Uh, um. If you've been it, you understand. If you've seen it, you understand it. I don't want to. I don't want to uh, try and put it. Try and put it into words. But um, very, very moving. And um, oh, I just try to you know be there, supporting father. And there's not much we can do at that point. So just other than be there for moral support. And um, but um, I have to say there's been a few moments where you're there. It's like, wow, this is. This is really incredible.
0: Mm. How long before you get back after the race? When uh, do you get back?
1: Pretty pretty quickly, as heading as straight possible. back, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I left when he got home. Uh, I left to, to come here when he was a week old, and I got back, and he's two weeks old. That's a long time in that period of life. So, yeah, um, yeah so I'm rush, we're rushing to get back this time around. But um, oh, I think uh, a few months when he's ready to travel, we'll be out here again and going a bit slower.
0: Just back to the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road race. Women's sport in Australia is such a big thing now It's exploding in so many areas Now you've got a women's race By the time we go to air The women's race will have happened on the Saturday I'm told that you were very insistent That part of this whole concept Needed to include a women's race
1: Absolutely we, um, there, was a couple of, there was a couple of I think fundamental things We need for the, for the event to be at success The time in the calendar And I think the public ride is also very important um, But the women's race was a big part of that um, I just had some crazy ideas and there was a bit of um, method behind the madness but I just felt that um, when we're sitting down discussing the original discussions for this race and I'm speaking, we're coming on to 10 years ago now um, there weren't so many uh, of the top men's professional races that had a female race but I felt it was a trend that cycling was either going to or needed to move to in the future and so that's why I I put forth the idea and um, I thank those people early on for thinking for having confidence in that uh, idea initially because at the time it was quite a little bit offbeat but um, fortunately amongst amongst other things and the, other than the fact that women have put on a fantastic a fantastic race very competitive very unpredictable exciting race to watch every year from from the very first the, for the 12 kilometres into the first race that big crash actually in the crosswind mm. on the road out to Barwon Heads from that point onwards it's been um, really fantastic racing Um uh, they've they've brought a lot to the race, but um it's um since that's happened it's sort of set off a little bit of a trigger it's made other race organizers think mm, maybe we should do this first and that's been a great stimulus to to women's cycling, not just here but in other races and I'm very proud of the fact that we've been able to, to to televise the race live two years ago. We went for the first year on channel Seven, live on channel seven, and in terms of women's cycling, it was the only only race outside the Olympic Games that was uh, televised live at the at the time.
0: So as this goes to air, the women's race was yesterday and it's pretty easy to watch it on Channel 7 because at the end of this interview, literally as we finish the Channel 7 coverage will start so everybody can just tune in
1: Just tune in, yep, or if if you're close by, come down and visit and see it in person
0: Yeah. (laughs) One other thing I wanted to talk to you about this race Your farewell in 2015 It was a fitting farewell in a race named after you Was that a really emotional experience for you?
1: to put it lightly yes (laughs) very 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 much so you um on on lots of levels um one i was probably the only guy to race in a serious race as a guy to win the race and be the race organizer that already on its own was took a bit of uh, (laughs) took a bit of um um maturity and calmness to, to 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 keep my head around um and funny thing, you become as you get older and more experienced at things, things that are unfamiliar things are more upsetting because you you're not used to unfamiliarity. so mm-hmm. here I am after racing for twenty years or something at the at the top level but it's the first time I've ever raced the last race of my career you only get one shot at that yeah. and that was uh, that in itself is already something but um yeah you know, in the end I sort of just came to this approach where I'm just going to work hard do what I can to be competitive and then we'll see what happens and of course you look back like any event afterwards oh, I could have done this better I could have done that better and but uh all coming in I had a, I had a great race the, the whole field it was the first year of the race I look at the success of the race and they raced so hard well, I couldn't win I came fifth but um it was a, it was a solid race and um but most of all just to to cross that finish line as well, the fact that it was here, it was in Geelong, it was my own race. Um, I had goosebumps on the start line. the thing, the national anthem, and it was, here you are, at your own race, and and I'm starting starting to do the last race, the last race of my entire career, and then to come across the finish line also was a moment in sport where it was really subconsciously my whole career that line had been somewhere in my mind, but I knew that line was coming one day, and I was working to do. I was motivated nearly every day of my 20-year career to get up and do everything I could to do the best I could, knowing that that finish line was coming one day. It motivated me, because when I crossed that finish line, I didn't want to have any regrets. I crossed that finish line, and still to this day, I don't have any regrets.
0: So it was a, a sense of relief when you physically went over that line. It's a, a, the end of a 20-year journey, as you say. Was that the overriding sense for you?
1: It was a, a, a big part of it, um, because a lot of people, are speaking to some um, ex-teammates uh, just just today, even and and how um, they're saying some riders some riders become scared every time. And I, I was like, it was it was it was a great experience, and I have to say, post-racing, it's fantastic. But um, it was yeah, a little sense of relief, but also a sense of accomplishment, and then because I was always motivating myself not to I didn't want to let myself down I didn't want to look back in my career as I'd seen uh, I met other athletes pro or, or riders that I'd met no oh, I found I'd done this right only I'd done that I don't want to have that found I would trained a bit harder found I I'd been a bit more disciplined or something I didn't want to have any of those regrets so I worked very hard and then it motivated me to work very hard and so then when I did get to that finish line without any regrets I'm like well let's box ticked in life now let's get on to the next chapter and and then here, here we are today
0: here we are and we're talking about the end of your great career we're going to take a break when we come back we'll talk about the start of your great career and even before that and how it all began and how life began for Cadell evans the tour de france champion what a pleasure it is to have him as my guest on the first edition of this is your sporting life for 2019 back with more with Cadell after the break Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan
1: for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives.
0: A very special edition of This Is Your Sporting Life to begin our 2019 series with the Tour de France champion, Cadell Evans. Cadell, take us back to your early days. It was up north in the in the top end where life began for you.
1: That's correct. Uh, born in uh, Catherine Hospital, Valentine's Day, 1977. Um, first bike, orange, 16 inch BMX I remember it quite well I wanted the red one but the orange one was closer I think so give me the orange let's go and training wheels and just riding around but um, Bamili or Baranga as it's known today Aboriginal village quite a little different start in life um, I think there were um, six white children in the village mm. and um,
0: Was it a tough existence for you?
1: Well, that's the only existence I knew, so I don't know. Yeah. I had nothing to compare it to, and um, we were just there for a few years, and then we moved to Northern New South Wales, Orange BMX in tow, and um, uh, we lived on some acreage, some land up in uh, Upper Grindy, north of. Um, it's all uh, blueberry farms now, and um, and then same thing, not many kids around, long way to the neighbours. Um, Orange BMX, Orange sixteenth BMX is the only mode of transport and and it was just oh very quiet childhood. I look at it now and I was so far away we didn't have electricity, we didn't have telephone, any of these things and and it was very um snakes and spiders everywhere and clearing the land and burning windrows and and it was really like the, my parents bought 80 acres of bush but it was virgin virgin bush it wasn't it wasn't like a house in a farm it's like okay we clear the trees and we build a house and and seeing all that and being in that and i was just yeah with my my parents were, uh, mum and dad were building the house and I was sometimes helping and painting creosote in the end of the log so they didn't split, that was a better, oh, I was good for at <laughs> age four and then yeah, school and so on and then moving to uh, Armidale New South Wales, my mother was studying with my, uh, university by correspondence and then later down here to Melbourne and, and then eventually Bowen heads
0: Snakes and spiders obviously are things that you need to be careful of but there was a particular horse that you needed to be careful of in your early days, what <laughs> yeah,
1: happened? Yeah, One of the, um, we yeah, one of the foals we had. I went down to collect them, and I, I was just there the other week actually with uh, sort of my father figure, and he was explaining the story to me again. And uh, Armadale on a sheep farm in Armadale, or just outside of Armadale, he was just indicating where I was, and I went over there to collect the foals. One of them got a bit excited, kicked out on in uh, horse speak, a pig rooted. and I was in the I was in the way of the hooves. I was a bit too close to the don't don't stand behind a horse. They say, well, that's mm. why. And, I, and it, it didn't intentionally kick me, but it got me uh, on the ear. Actually, depressed skull fracture, airlifted to hospital, six days in a coma in intensive care. Likely brain damage if 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 um if I live and so on. And um, I was lucky to get through that aspect and come out the other end. And um, I thought... For, I can't remember how many years afterwards, but oh, splitting headaches—I'd get sort of one one a week, every two weeks, really really bad headaches—and it would just immobilise me. But then they went away, and um, and that was um, part of it. I still got the big scar on my head to show, and uh, but that's um, yeah one one of those little experiences in life. It wasn't until years later I was uh, putting together a book actually, and my mother had written the chapter about that because I was unconscious in intensive care, I didn't know what was going on, and um, oh, it brought me to tears actually to read it from my mother. Point of view, and and at that point now being a parent, oh it would um, oh I would be the most uh, scary experience I think a parent could ever go through.
0: What did they tell you, Mum? What did the doctors tell you, Mum? Did they expect that you would get through, or was it really touch and go?
1: It was um, pretty touch and go. Actually, it was really a yeah, small chance of and coming back to a normal, live a normal life. And I was really, uh, I was lucky, very, very lucky to get through.
0: I called a match at the Australian Open the other day, the wheelchair tennis, and it involved a guy called David Wagner from the United States who was a healthy individual and he was playing with a frisbee at the beach one day and a wave hit him, flipped him upside down and he spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair and that's why he's playing wheelchair tennis. It makes you think about one moment in your life that could potentially change your destiny forever.
1: It's it's scary to think that way, and of course we can't go in life being scared. What are we told? Mm-hmm. We're <laughs> we're supposed to love like we've never been hurt, and we have to play like we've never been hurt. I think, unfortunately, but the same thing. I, one of my colleagues, actually, I used to race with, similar similar thing. Gusta Wind came, who's now in a wheelchair or has been in a wheelchair ever since, and but it just makes you think. You know, that could have been me right there. It really makes you reconsider a few things and appreciate what you have. I think.
0: So where did the graduation come from? The orange BMX. Well, actually, BMX was amongst your starting uh, steps in cycling, yeah. wasn't it?
1: Oh, I was just just riding, and it wasn't until I um I was living in Victoria that I started um, mountain bike riding, and and I just I just started riding to get to school and bit of independence, visit friends and things, and then um had some friends and things. Oh, we're gonna go and do a ride up here. We'll go and do a ride there and one of them's like, oh, well there's a race on. We'll go and do this, and and that's when it, that's when it started. And I went and did my first race, just a little local club race. There's this club probably still in existence today. Fat tire flyers, and they run these little races. And you go in, you pay your five dollars entry fee and five dollars deposit for your number, and get a number, and you do a lap or two of the course, and in you in your age group, and you're like, oh, that was hard. And my mama, I remember my mum asking me, oh, did you like it? Would you like to do it again yeah, I think I would, and um that's that 's what really started it and I just started started racing a little bit, and then all of a sudden I discovered this sport and I'm like there 's all these aspects of the sport, and I just love it. Riding by myself, well, I've done plenty of that. <laughs> the more you ride by yourself, the better you get. the The more you train, the more you win, the more you succeed. the The better it all goes. And then, um, oh, mountain biking is interesting because you have like the fitness aspect, but you also have the technical aspect, where you're descending and so on, and the, the whole preparation and being organised. I have to say, it was a fantastic school. Um, my my partner is a skier, and um, <clears throat> she she specialises in coaching young young children. and uh, And so we 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 look at sport as such a fantastic. A school and I look back at my own career what, what sport taught me and it's just amazing how, how much it teaches you on trust and reliability and organisation, all these things which has served you so well for other, other aspects of life and I always say sports are sports fantastic because um you can you can always afford to lose on the pitch or out on the road or <clears throat> on the field, but um, much better learn make the mistake there and learn from it there than, than make the mistake in life. So um, so that that was I I was so grateful that I, I fell into the sport like that because I didn't know which direction my life was going to go in, but it really um, put me on a whole different trajectory. And before I knew it, I was going to going. I've got my first apartment in Switzerland at age 21, didn't speak a word of French, and professional career, and and um, I, I haven't I haven't missed a a week or two since going to the airport to take an international trip since I think.
0: Speaking of that professional career, early in the professional career, the Tour of Tasmania I think it was in 99 was it? Is it true that Phil Liggett saw you in that race and said, this guy's going to win the Tour de France one year?
1: I think that might be correct. Um, we, um, we were doing, was it 98 or 99, I can't quite remember that, which year it was and um, and yeah we were racing there and I'd, I'd raced the race the year before but a break had gone gone away early and I went up the climb and I had a good time on the climb I thought, oh, you know if I was racing for the win I could go much faster and I remember the guy running the team at the time yeah whatever whatever and actually we got there and we got there in front and I was like oh okay now we're going to go and um I rode away, uh, rode away from everyone, and I'd been secretly training pretty carefully for it, knowing that it was one of the chances that I had. I was mountain biking at the time, under 23. It was one of the few chances I'd actually get to race against some um, road professionals, and um, the the result actually went back to the pro teams in Europe, actually, because Neil Stevens I think was second on GC, yeah. and who was racing for Festina at the time. So it sort of, sort of got back that far into Europe, which was. Oh, Good for later on in my career, but uh, that was one of the first breaks. And, and feel like it's like, well, I, a guy can time trial, and a guy can climb, and he can bring it together over a period of time. That's the basic ingredients you need for the Tour de France. In my mind, I'd watched, uh, been watching uh, Miguel Indurain since uh, 1991. I was always inspired by Miguel Indurain. Um, in the Tour de France, in the back of my mind, and I, at this point, I'm working for the Olympics in mountain bike and the World Cup overall in mountain bike. Maybe career on the road, maybe Tour de France will be in the future, and then um, yeah that came later.
0: Just one thing, Neil Stevens, the name you mentioned there. I got to know Steve O a little bit. I did a couple of Herald Sun tours and, and did the whole tour around, which was interesting in itself. Not only for the cycling, but for some of the activities that went on after the cycling at night, uh, you didn't have the Neil Stevens mullet, did you? Because no. he sported a beauty in his day.
1: I think he still probably has it today. I haven't seen him for a while, but um, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I think he'll cut off a limb before he cuts off that mullet. <laughs> All
0: right. Um, your career progresses from that tour of Tasmania. You're a medalist at the Commonwealth Games in 2002. When did the belief instill itself? in you that you could make it to the very top of your sport?
1: I was um, in 2000 I did some a little bit of, uh was riding a little bit prefer- initially with the under 23 team in Europe and then with the um the national team, and then um, I was riding a few professional races um, in between my mountain bike races in uh, 2001, and at the end of 2001, I went to the World Championships in uh, Lisbon in Portugal, and um, my manager had arranged a meeting, okay, and then some people sat down, and said, I think I know who these people are, and it was the A team, which was the biggest, and highest ranked team in the world, and the biggest team in the world, and in my mind, the best team in cycling ever. I sat down, and um, the head coach was there, and the manager there, and said, um, "Would you like to uh, develop as a grand tour rider with us?" And I was like, yes. Do you have a contract? Yes. Can you get out of it? Probably. And that's where it all started, because uh, this is uh, Aldo Sassi, Professor Aldo Sassi, who then later became my coach, and he, in my mind, was the most knowledgeable guy in cycling, and. and and had an idea for the future of cycling, he saw in me a Grand Tour winner. And the fact that the most knowledgeable person in the world had belief in me, well, I had to believe in myself. And um, and that's where that's where it all started. And that was um, that was the night before the World Championships in 2001. I hardly slept that night because I was thinking, wow, this is a whole new opportunity, and a whole new career for me. And fortunately at that time, I was still uh, young enough that I could still make a full career on the road because I'd started so young mountain bike. And I was already happy to have one career as a professional sports person. This was my dream to have one. Now I got to have two. And um, what also happened was it was a whole new set of challenges, a whole new environment. So all of a sudden, I had this. Enthusiasm and motivation that I had when I was maybe 16 or 17, going overseas for the first time, completely reinvigorated and new set of goals to work to, and that started the, the the trip. 2000. This is October 2001. That was really the start of the the trip to 2011 Tour de France.
0: We'll talk in depth about that obviously probably on the other side of the break but what about your first Tour de France? I mean everybody forgets the other races uh, the Giro and uh, the big races around the world. Everybody talks about the Tour de France. When you rode in your first tour was it everything you expected? Was it more than you expected? What were your feelings about that?
1: Um, I'd, um, because I'd, written, I'd only written one Grand Tour before that. Uh, two Grand Tours one was the Giro d'Italia and I'll add this in for, for context. Um, there's a photo of in the in the room just down the hall there um i was a first year professional in the biggest team in the world and for them the giro d'italia being an italian team was the most important um most important race of the year and here i am their first year professional the only neo pro on the team two days before milan would finish in the pink jersey i was a, I was a, a neo pro and i lost the jersey anyway and that's a whole story on its own but that was um that's really instilled in a lot of people's minds and a lot of people's hearts because they the most amazing hunger flat in the history of cycling. I'm famous for that. Mm-hmm. His people, all these grandmas and things in Italy are crying on their couch, watching me on the TV, trying to ride up this mountain, losing minutes and minutes on Palo Salvadelli. But that was the start of my Grand Tour racing. And then I had a few setbacks before my... Um, my first Tour de France uh, one year 2000 and then next year 2003 I was meant to start injuries no you're not going to be ready okay 2004 okay it's going good you need to perform well in the mountains I'm so sense just a doubt on my selection Oh, you need to perform in these races here and if you're good in the mountains there you can go to the tour um, I, won, I won the mountain stage in the Tour of Austria won the overall okay that's good oh non-selection for the Tour de France that was a bit devastating very devastating i have to say i was getting all ready to start my tour de france career and then um it wasn't until the next year 2005 now that i actually made it to the start of the tour de france with a lotto team de vita mon lotto of which robbie McEwen was on and um and that was the start of it all and um, before i went there everyone's like oh you can't believe it at the tour everyone's crazy and <laughs> you get there Everyone's crazy. It's so, so much enthusiasm for the race. As a rider, though, I've always been a very rational rider. I go to a race. Okay, this is what I need to do to get the results I need to do, and I'm very rational about that. Everything else is a bit of a distraction. <laughs> so all these distractions, I'm just like, leave me alone. I just want to race my bike. And um and then racing there, and one thing that was interesting there, I went there, but because I was there with a sprinter, I was a bit on my own. But as a GC rider. We had no idea what I could do at the tour, so for me it was a bit. Let's see what I can do. I was a bit nervous about it because you know, if I come 80th, that's a long way to make it to the to the to the top level. I'm like, well, let's see how good I can go, and from there we can make make a plan for the future to see where I can go. Long story short, I'm there on my own, so I've got to find my way. Interestingly, this was Lance Armstrong's last Tour de France victory, let's say, and um, that team was very strong. It's kind of like it's kind of like in the peloton you're fighting in the peloton to f- to stay in the draft of a uh, sort of seven motor scooters riding on the front at 50k an hour just up down climbs left right it's just incredible and they just ride in the front from start to the finish <laughs> of, the, of, the, of the entire Tour de France and we're just behind <laughs> drafting but I was on my own I didn't have any teams so I had to find my own way amongst all the other teams and all the other contenders and then Days pass and sort of looking about my my where my position is and I'm probably looking good in to stay in the top ten but I've never I haven't ridden a grand tour for years so we don't know how I'm going to go in the third week and I'm there first week top ten second week top ten third week and I'm still there I do the last time trial on the on the penultimate day and I was eighth in the last time trial it's funny you. Your first hilltop finish and your last time trial—it sort of resonates. It almost always comes out as what your um what your place in the GC is going to be. I was eighth on GC, and that's where I stayed. And that was my first Tour de France finish. I was absolutely exhausted, um mainly just for the stress and concentration because I was there on my own. And that's where it started. And the next year, went back, prepared better, better focused training program I was fourth next year went back better prepared better focused I was second like, this is a nice progression and then um came back again so, oh that's right I had a crash in the first week slowed me up a bit and that was, that was my hardest tour de France ever that was 2007 I believe 2007 2008 that was my hardest tour ever against Sastra and um racing with the injury, I was good for six or seventh, but I was sitting in second, so I wasn't going to let up anything because I was still in a chance to to win. But I just had to push myself so much harder just just to be there with this injury injuries I was carrying through this crash. I just turned myself inside out. It was it was very, by far my hardest tour, and then second again, I just came up again less than a minute, and that's. Uh, 2007 second by 23 seconds 2008 second by 53 seconds Mm -hmm. we're talking about a race that's um sort of around 85 86 hours long long (laughs) over three weeks in percentage terms it's very very small margin close but but not close enough and then um yeah they were the first few years
0: just before we take a break and we talk about 2011 with all of those results you just spoke about The thought must have crossed your mind at some stage. I've been so close on so many occasions. Have I missed the window? Have I missed my opportunity? Or were you just single-minded about the fact that one day you'd do it?
1: I was very single-minded about it. Uh, Externally, though, I really had to insulate myself. A lot of journalists were coming. Uh, People in cycling were really believing. It wasn't, um, oh, you have the chance, you could maybe win the tour. It was like, can you win it? Because you come second twice but so many people would ask me in such a in that negative way you've come second twice can you win it can you win it but it wasn't I'd go down and buy some bread from the supermarket in the morning and they would ask me I'd go and get my hair cut and someone would ask me but can you win it can you win it and I'm just like I just want to live my life when I'm on my bike I'm I'm a bike rider but when I get off my bike I'm I'm not a bike rider but um, I just couldn't sort of escape this and but in my mind I was quite I think I can if things go right I need to be lucky I'm going to keep working on it but externally people were really starting to sort of lose faith in me especially my team that year in 2008 they lost complete faith in me they thought if I didn't win it then I was going to win it and it really showed the next year which consequently led to a a very difficult and stressful season and um, my team this was the same lotto team lost complete faith in me the day of that time trial I, I failed to close the gap to Carlos Sastre was second 53 seconds and um, after that I was a little bit I was a little, little bit on my own there for a little while actually um, that year 2009 I went to the Vuelta España I had to fight tooth and nail just to I wanted to ride the Tour of Spain that year in preparation for the World Championships funny little story that they, the World Championships finished three kilometres away from where I'm based in Switzerland. And I had this race on my mind for about two or three years. And I'd won one race that year, a little stage, and one of the lesser level races of the only non-world tour race I did for the year. And I went a stage, and, well, you win a sprint of 20 people. Yeah, well, that's one race victory, it's better than none. But and I go there and my trade team's got no faith in me. My national team had little, or this training team had little or no faith in me. We go to the World Championships and I've had this race on my mind for... Um, Two weeks. I've just had the World Spaniard. I felt a bit stolen off me. A comedy of errors led to uh, anyway. That's another story on its own. But here I was at the World Championships, and uh, we, we we come down to the final of the World Championships. There's twelve of us. Twelve of us with three Spanish of the twelve. Okay, first Spanish writer that goes. I've got to go with them. We're left in three. They're looking at each other. Left a gap. Six Ks to go. I've gone away solo. I was riding on Sunday, I rode up this same hill that I had to ride up to get to the finish line. Last Sunday, um, I often had this saying to myself, okay, 6.5 kilometres to go, this is going to be the best, six. ride this 6.5 kilometres like you're never going to ride a bike again. Just leave everything on the road and I became world champion. And I have to say, one one of the most amazing feelings in sport I ever had in my life, probably the, the single most amazing experience I was riding into the finish line at the world championships 200 of the world's best bike riders behind me the finish line in front I'm the first guy to win a tour de, uh, world championship solo I'm riding like three kilometers from my house riding towards the finish line I'm like am I dreaming this or is this actually happening and uh, speaking of bike riders perspective as you're riding along the tv motorbikes around I'm 5311, which is the biggest gear you have and I'm to went 50 plus kilometres an hour on the flat and the whole world's behind you and the finish line's there in front and I've had um, I've seven world championship medals at home but no gold and then finally after I think it was uh, 16, 17 years since my first world championships finally I was going to get the gold medal and that also means the rainbow jersey and that turned everything around again
0: That was an incredible moment in your career the one that everybody talks about is the one in 2011 we'll take a break and come back and relive some of your memories of that and some of our memories of that as well and whether you were aware of what was going on back home when you did it Cadell Evans is with us on This Is Your Sporting Life more after the break Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives What a great pleasure it is to have the Tour de France champion Cadell Evans as my guest on This Is Your Sporting Life 2011. I touched on it before the break. Before I get your thoughts on what happened, were you aware of what was going on back home?
1: Blissfully unaware.
0: Is that a good thing?
1: I think so. Um, well, one thing when you're riding the Tour de France, you're on the other side of the world for one, um, and two, you've got a fair bit to think about when you're riding the Tour de France, especially if you're trying to win it. And um, I always felt, I, I always felt I had a, um, in my mind, as a, I don't, I put a lot, as an athlete, I put a lot of pressure on myself. So if anyone else put pressure on me as well. It was detrimental to my performance but with the i never felt i had expectations from the australian public or my my compatriots i'd say i felt we were going in this tour de france and everyone was along a lot of people were along the on on the ride on the adventure with me i never felt it was it was let's see how far we can go i i, I never felt under pressure which was great because like i said that would that would adentri- have uh, my performance
0: was it only when you came home afterwards that you realised what, what the Australian public thought of what you'd been able to do?
1: Then I started to have some idea, yes. Yeah. Um, well, when you walk out of the airport, there's like a three-storey high billboard, and with your photo on it, and <laughs> congratulations, Cadell. It's sort of like, Aha, okay, everyone was watching.
0: Hmm. Was that year just the perfect storm? Did everything just come together for you? Had a good preparation coming in? Physically, you were good... Was it just all the elements combined to make the perfect race for you?
1: 2009 and the World Championships later basis to go to, which I was all, I'd was already been in talks with a new team, gone to a new team. 2010 was a bit touch and go because we had good performances, but we had a bit of bad luck. Um, I was in the pink jersey. I wore the yellow jersey in the tour. I broke my arm in 2010. Otherwise, it was a bit of those. Mm, that was another one that could have maybe been one. But, um, but, um this is all the little lessons you get in the way and you normally learn more from your losses but then in 2011 we came back and one thing I liked was there wasn't the expectations from at least within the world of cycling I was a bit discounted I remember a, one of the early season races Tirreno Adriatico I won and um someone was telling it's not something I look at but someone was telling me oh so-and-so put some money on you at 28 to 1 I was like 28 to 1 to win the tour I'll go and put some money on myself <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty that's pretty good odds for what I think i can do okay whatever and um, and then what what happened was winning early um, won the confidence of my teammates um, we worked harder we worked better we won more we got, became more confident we became more unified and it was just a, a really um, um, how do you say it? like an exponential um, oh really like upward upward up upward trend and we just kept pulling each other other up, pushing each other up and it really we were we weren't the strongest team on paper. We were certainly the most unified and then we went into the tour and um we had a few little things go go wrong as as people might have seen on T V but fortunately thanks to our, our um calmness, our experience and our our unity we could overcome them and then when it all came together, um like the last time trial that was where I um I had on my mind from months out how that had to be prepared for and how that had to be written and um Yeah, so we go into like sports psychology, visualisation, that in some ways, yes, I've done all that.
0: So the last stage is largely ceremonial after what you did in the time trial, but you still need to stay upright. You can drink your champagne at the the start of the stage. What's your mind ticking across as you're riding around the Champs-Élysées?
1: Well, interesting you mentioned the champagne. I was... I, what I wanted to have was my dream was to go into the Tour de France and open a Cooper's beer with a yellow jersey <laughs> riding to Paris being the original Australian the French didn't take to that very well so I had my glass of champagne okay while I was drinking that glass of champagne the TV motorbike in front of me crashed I had a glass of champagne in my hand normally on a bike you use your hands to brake I've got one hand to brake I managed to stop. I didn't spill my champagne. Motorbike, the motorbike nearly took me out for the photos. This is just a little thing. They don't show these things on camera, but yeah. those stupid little things, I'm not allowing them to take a new France off me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what worries you going into the Paris and crossing the finish line. And I was really, I've always been it's not over till you cross the line because yeah. anything can happen and it sometimes unfortunately does happen where a winner of a, a, a race fin- a crashes at four kilometers to go or something the leader of the race crashes at four kilometers to go and someone else wins it and so it wasn't until i crossed the finish line that i was um saying it was done and won and that's to cross that finish line though like like the other uh, finish line we were speaking about before it was cross that finish line and it uh, was um my life changed ever since
0: So you stand there on the Champs-Élysées, you've got the yellow jersey on, all the presentations go on under the Arc de Triomphe. Did you think back to that little boy who used to ride the orange BMX? Um, At
1: that moment I was slightly distracted, I'd say. Um, I think, now this is my life change from that moment onwards. And I think one one moment that put it into perspective was um Tinorina sang the national anthem for for us on the um elysees and um our celebrations interesting side note um we midnight we get back to the hotel uh, I'm hungry. Have we got any beer in the hotel George are you at the pizzeria? buy 12 pizzas and it was just us sitting around eating pizza and drinking beer until the hotel ran out of beer they didn't have much um, but that was just us our teammates and our partners just sitting down in the lobby nothing fancy but we were just so happy with what we'd done and so proud of each other we didn't, we didn't have to do anything more and then um, I was driving somewhere Oh, well, I remember I had to go somewhere I was going somewhere in February following year seven months later I was driving along it was the first time I actually had a bit of a moment of calm in my life in seven months I was driving along I thought that Tour de France was pretty good. Wasn't it? That was a good effort, but it took me seven months to mm-hmm. realize it because it's so big and it's so long that it just takes such a long time to sink in and, and three weeks is a long time for an event to happen. And it's not like you <clears> – <throat> sometimes I think, I think of these people who do these short events. For, for me, it's over before I am even got started, but um – <clears throat> you have an idea where you're going to finish then a minute later or something you're there at the finish line well, I've got an idea in January of what I can do I start in July and I finish at the end of the month yeah. um, the, the result it's, and then the realisation took a long long time
0: in that seven months or after that seven months was there ever a moment that you said this is great but how do I top
1: that <laughs> I always um from from the day after I was thinking well how do we how do we win the next year and that's um that's where where um where I had just tried to focus on things but you know, jumping on a plane coming to australia i 'm going to Colorado to do my next race and left right left right and um what what was my undoing and i, I never i never um i didn't know about this but um we were, I was we were adopting a child at the time, and anyway when i um when I got back February I started having uh, stomach issues and I was having these little illnesses one after another. I rode the tour terribly, I was 7th overall, I, I felt I was exhausted every day, just always tired, exhausted, long story short, in August I was diagnosed with uh, former chronic fatigue if you told me this in February if I'd known this in February I would have had a completely different approach but um, I raced for like 7 months with chronic fatigue I was absolutely exhausted but uh, as an endurance athlete one of the first things you learn in life being tired is the weakest excuse you can make the only symptom of chronic fatigue is you're tired (laughs) You can't use that as an excuse, so you just have to keep pushing through it and um and that was that was my undoing. I still consider all things considered chronic fatigue syndrome. you ask anyone who's had it to ride seventh the Tour de France is unthinkable, but I did that, but then afterwards um we i would already we'd already done the Olympic selection and all the planning and everything for it. We couldn't undo all those things, and then after that it was the diagnosis has started to come through, and that was really what not repeating and that was actually the beginning of my decline as a as a as a lead athlete.
0: We've just about come to the end of our chat. We've got one more break, and then we'll come back with some final thoughts as we head towards... And don't forget to turn your television on in just a few moments' time because it'll be on Channel 7, the Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race, and we'll be back with the Tour de France champion to wrap things up on This Is Your Sporting Life on the other side of the break. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life with Peter Donegan for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Our final segment on what has been a most enjoyable chat. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have speaking to the great champion, Cadell Evans. Cadell, you mentioned Lance Armstrong before. A lot of people will say about this program that I should be asking you about all of the things that have gone on in your sport. I don't feel the need to do that because I think they've been hashed over a lot of times. But one thing I did want to say was what happened to you when you walked into the media centre after you won the Tour de France? Can you recap what happened then?
1: I recap this more from other people's stories because, like I said, after you win the Tour de France, it's got a lot of things on your mind. Um, But um, I walked into the media room and everyone stood up and applauded me. Now, I thought, thank you, that's nice. I didn't think anything of it. What I didn't know was, for 20 years for journalists who had been working on the tour for 20 years or more, this had never happened before. I didn't know this at the time. I thought maybe that's what happened every year. I didn't know better. But afterwards, I was told this, and that was... um to hear this afterwards? And it's funny, because when we work with journalists as athletes, we're kind of contradicting roles. One wants information. One needs to hide it. One's got deadlines to make. One's got <clears throat> a job to do. We find ourselves in um, a little bit uh, con- contradictory uh, situations uh, with contradictory uh, intentions when we when we when we're together, and so to have this with people who had sometimes upset me or said quite offensive things about me to have this was was already a, a nice feeling on its own, and so um, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I was it seemed the only one to um, to um, t- to receive this standing applause from the journalists at the Tour de France.
0: One question, one broad overall question. With all of the events that have gone on in your sport, do you think professional cycling will be able to emerge out the other side of the tunnel?
1: I think it's a long way out of the tunnel now. Um, unfortunately, these things had to happen for sport, and I do so, so I don't say just cycling, but sport had to learn from these errors. Um, I think, like in if we look back at history, um, various professions, the world's becoming a a, more, a fairer place thanks to rules and the ability to in, instill these rules and i speak of other professions whether it's tax fraud or um working fairness or, or sport and and clean sport but unfortunately we need these things to teach us and 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 make us realize the importance of of install of um uh, having 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 all these rules and um I'm trying to think of the wall, enforcing all these these rules. And um, that no, 1998 was a particular big turning point for our sport, but then um, it's, it's been on a, a great trend ever since then. And then I think the, the biggest thing with Lance Armstrong, the whole thing was that scared a lot of athletes in a lot of sports because he was taken down five, six years after... <laughs> what he thought was, okay, this is done, I'll spend the money because the money's in my bank balance and so on, in my bank account. And that I think that was probably the biggest thing, that to scare athletes from that point onwards and maybe forever.
0: Uh, You've been very generous with your time It's an incredibly busy week for you We're looking forward to the race today And seeing it on television along with 140 countries On behalf of everyone who loves sport in this country uh, And as one of the people who sat up and watched the television that night in 2011 You gave us a moment that we'll never forget. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to share some time with you and the best of luck for the race this afternoon.
1: Thank you very, very much. It's very nice to reflect on it.
0: Cadell Evans joining us on our first edition of This Is Your Sporting Life for 2019. I hope you can join us at the same time next week for another edition. We'll see you then.